Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. <laughs> Uh, in this uh, situation, of course, the key thing is what does your sister want out of all of this? I mean, she's in the relationship with an abusive husband, a husband that is taking drugs and that is doing all these wrong things. And she's got children that is exposed to all of this. So I think the first step is obviously not uh, asking what can you do, but first of all, uh, ask the question, what does your sister want to do about it? Uh, it's very unfortunate that sometimes we find women they are in these abusive relationships, but yet they uh, seem to just uh, stick it out and they, they don't do anything about it or they, for the sake of the children, whatever the reason may be, they don't really want to uh, come forward and do something about it. Because at the end of the day, no one else will be able to help her unless she wants that help, and unless she wants the assistance from the sisters and whoever else cares for her. Uh, of course, uh, if, if you can first uh, sort of speak to her and she she agrees that something needs to be done then obviously uh, you need to get uh, help you know as a family uh, drug abuse as we know is something that is really destroying our communities and there are many uh, uh, institutes that can obviously assist in this regard so they first of all they need professional help to deal with a drug problem to deal with a drinking problem and all of that and then also they need uh, an Islamic counselor somebody that can speak to them uh, especially to the husband and explain to him that you know this is not a life uh, to to be leading as a Muslim, and uh, obviously the children being exposed to all these elements and stuff like that. Um, so I think the first step would be to to convince your sister, and if she agrees, then to get some professional help for them, and then uh, the third step would be obviously to get an Islamic counselor to speak to them, uh, both of them of course. And if the wife in this instance feels that look she had enough, and uh, now that it has come to the fore, she needs to sort of start over or she needs to go for a fasakh, then so be it. So be it. Uh, obviously, she can uh, apply for a fasakh and uh, she can obviously then uh, see how, what course that takes. And the judiciary will obviously have to look at the circumstances. And I, I, I suppose in this case where there is abuse, where there is drugs and all these things, and uh, there is good grounds for a fasakh if she wanted to go that route. Okay, uh, but it is a procedure, obviously, that she that she has to follow, and uh, we hope, inshallah, that she will be able to sort out her life in this way, and things will will become better in in her married life and with the children, inshallah. Amen, inshallah. Um, the next question is something similar to a question that we've received in the past few weeks. One of our first questions for the show, so I'm going to relate to both of it. Salam, I'm 63 years old. Can I go for Umrah without a mahram? Being for Hajj already and then of course it, it does kind of not latch on but it's similar to the next question which is Sheikh can a woman go on Umrah alone um, if it's her fourth time Sheikh? Yeah, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim with regards to traveling in general there is like clear sort of there are clear hadith on this issue and the scholars uh, uh, kind of concur and agree that a woman should not be traveling alone if it is more than the distance that is allowed for her to join or to shorten prayer 
case she should uh, be accompanied by a husband or by a family member that is a mahram and this is of course all to protect uh, the woman as such and to to keep her safe and there are many many ahadith on this issue and that's why the ulama have all sort of agreed on this point uh, they don't really have a difference of opinion as far as the necessity of a mahram is concerned although there is some some d- difference of opinion with regards to what the distance is and so on of qasr and jam and what the distance of traveling is um, uh, one such ahadith for example just to quote one is where the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam clearly states la tusafiru al-mar'atu thalathata ayyamin aw tahujj illa wa ma'aha zawjuha aw mahram that a woman should not be traveling for more than 3 days even if it is that she's performing hajj except with a husband or with an unmarriageable kin of hers a mahram uh, so this hadith in nabi ali sallallahu alaihi wasallam is quite emphatic on this he's quite uh, clear on this uh, and so the uh, only exception to this is really that uh, two things. Number one, Imam Shafi'i rahmatullah alayhi he gives a dispensation that if it's a woman's first time that she is going for the obligation of hajj. And here obviously, interestingly, for hajj and for umrah, if it is your first time, let's say you're not going for hajj, but it's the first time you're going for umrah. According to Imam Shafi'i, the umrah is just as obligatory as the hajj. Both are compulsory. So if it, is, if it is your first time, whether it be Hajj or whether it be Umrah, then according to Imam Shafi'i's ijtihad or his own reasoning, uh, you are allowed to travel alone, right, without a mahram, uh, as long as you are in the company of other women that will be able to support you and help you, then that is fine. But this goes only for the Fard Hajj and for the Fard Umrah, okay? Anything beyond that, she will have to go with uh, a mahram. So in both cases of both these questions, which are similar, the first question I asked that she's gone on hajj already, but now she wants to go for umrah. So obviously when she went for hajj, I would take it that she did an umrah also at the same time, because that is normally what happens. You go for hajj and you do an umrah as well. So if that was the case, then this would be considered a sunnah umrah, in which case uh, she needs a mahram. And if on the other hand, uh, the second question, which is related to it, it says it's already the person's fourth umrah. So obviously it is a sunnah so in both these cases, the woman clearly needs a mahram to travel with her. And like I said, the hikmah is uh, for her own protection, for her own, for to assist her, to support her and stuff like that. And uh, traveling can become difficult, it can become strenuous, and you sometimes need somebody to run around and to do things, etc. And most probably it's much more, much more suitable for a strong, stronger person physically to, to do these things. And that is why uh, the Sharia has laid down these uh, fundamental rules. Of course, uh, there are some other exceptions to, to this general rule, and that is also if a woman's uh, life is in danger, for example, and she needs to travel in order to save herself, then of course that is fine. She can travel in order to survive, even if it is without a mahram, because the sanctity of life, the sanctity of her own dignity and honor and all of that, it takes precedence over this particular detail of the sharia. And this is something we need to always take into consideration. There are objectives of the sharia, or maqasid as it is called, in the in the um, framework of the Sharia, maqasid objectives of the Sharia that needs to be upheld, and one of it is the sanctity of life. So, if a woman's life is in danger and she needs to travel, even if it is beyond the uh, distance of qasr, then she's able to do that in order to save herself, in order to protect herself. That will be permissible in that particular circumstance. Jazakallah to Sheikh. Next question is, Sheikh, can any dua be recited in place of qunud for Fajr Salah? Yeah, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. It is of course sunnah to recite the qunud uh, during the Fajr Salah uh, according to Imam Shafi'i's madhab. Uh, it is not a fart, it is not compulsory. So if a person leaves it out even deliberately, his salah will still be correct. 
because it is not of the arkan of the salah as such. Although Imam Shafi'i says that if a person leaves out the qunut, then it is sunnah for that person to perform what is known as sujood as-sahwi, which is the uh, prostration or forgetfulness. It is sunnah to do that. But let's say even worst case scenario, the person didn't make qunut and he also didn't make sujood as-sahwi. He also didn't prostrate for forgetfulness. In that case, his salah will still be correct. Because this whole act of reciting uh, the dua after the second rak'ah, after the uh, coming up from the ruku of the second rak'ah, it's sunnah. It's not a compulsory act of the salah. And in terms of the question, yes, of course, any dua can be recited. There's no specific uh, indication of any dua that has to be done. Although it is recommended that we try to at least learn some part of the prophetic prescription of the dua that has been given to us by our Prophet Ali and the well-known dua Allah mahdini fi man hadayt wa afini fi man afayt it's a, it's a well-known dua it's obviously better to recite that dua in place of anything else because that is the actual dua which was taught to us by the Prophet to be recited during the qunut but let's say a person is not able to then you can recite any other dua uh, whatever is comfortable and easy for you and if you wanted to shorten the normal qunut uh, dua then you can do that as well in fact the scholars go so far to say if you were just to utter the first line of this dua Allahumma hadini fi man hadayt then that would give you the reward of reciting the sunnah dua which was given by the Prophet So it's fairly an easy matter. It is nothing to, to really worry about. You are allowed to make any other dua uh, if you do not uh, memorize the, the actual dua that was prescribed by the Prophet Inshallah, shukran so much uh, to Shaykh Ibrahim Worse. Let's just take a short break. We'll be back with more of your questions just after this. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, 91.3 FM and 95.8 FM stereo. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to VSC 91.3. I'm Khawa Salaman and answering your questions is Sheikh Ibrahim Wurst, resident imam at the Yusufiya Masjid. Next question that we received, Assalamu alaikum. Can you make a dua um, salah on a Friday? Uh, no, maft. Can you make duha salah on a Friday after 12? Shukran. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. The salat duha is one of the recommended salahs to be made uh, on a daily basis. It is something that has been uh, prescribed by the Prophet وسلم, as a form of ibadah that can be done at a specific time of the day. Uh, and particularly the time that is given for the salah of duha is uh, from after sunrise and not immediately after sunrise a few minutes after sunrise uh, up until the time of zawal and zawal as we know is when the sun has reached its uh, zenith on the middle of the sky just before dhuhr a person is allowed to make duha salah and of course the minimal rakas for salatul duha is two rakas and the maximum is eight the Prophet had made eight at one occasion to show that that is the amount that can possibly be, be made. So anything in between either two or four or six or eight uh, uh, can be made. This is all uh, permissible and sunnah. And so on a Friday, there's no specific uh, exception on a Friday uh, for Salatul Duha. If it is within that time frame where it is between the time of sunrise and zawal, then it would be permissible for the person still to make Salatul Duha. There is no exception of a Friday or any other day for this rule. Uh, of course, uh, the only other issue that I perhaps could take into consideration here is that if you come into the masjid and, for example, the imam is already busy with his uh, talk or his uh, translation of the talk, obviously yeah, it would not be recommended for you to make extra salahs in this time, but rather to try and listen to what the imam has got to say. 
Okay, and rather leave the Salatul Duha for that moment if it is that you didn't make it before the Imam started. However, should you make it while the Imam is even giving his English talk or is giving his, his lecture, then fine, there's nothing wrong. Although I think it's uh, unsuitable to do that because of uh, the importance of listening to the Imam's uh, nasiha that he gives on a Friday. Of course, just to give a general kind of encouragement, I mean, it's a good, good this question come, comes up because it creates an opportunity for us to at least encourage people to do the salah. Uh, there's a hadith where Abu Darda, one of the great companions, he says, Awsani Habibi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bithalath. And I like the way the Sahabi actually describes this. He says that my most beloved, he calls the Prophet Habibi, you know, the one that is most dear to me, the most beloved to me. And this shows the close relationship that the Sahaba had and the emotional attachment that they had with the Prophet So he says, my most beloved, the one that I love, that I love utmost. My Habib, you know, he gave me advice to do three things. And he says, furthermore, and I will never leave off these three things as long as I live. Because of the advice coming from my beloved, I will never leave it off as long as I live. And these three, three things are, number one, uh, He advised me to fast for three days every month. Okay, Sunnah fasts. And of course, this is known as the white days or Ayyamul Bid because it's the time when the moon is at its fullest, when it's actually full moon. And to estimate it from each uh, Islamic month, it would be the 13th, the 14th, and the 15th of each Islamic month. You will find that the moon is, moon is full. And it is Sunnah to fast during these days. That is the first of the three things which the Prophet ﷺ recommended. The second one is the Prophet ﷺ, uh, recommended me to make Salatul Duha. And that is the question that we are addressing. Salatul Duha, like I said, is that Sunnah Salah that can be performed any time from after sunrise up until Zawal. The minimal is two raka'as and the maximum is eight raka'as. It is highly recommended. And uh, the third one, he says, that the Prophet actually advised me was, is to always make Salatul Witr before I go to bed. Before I sleep, I should try to end my day with Salat al-Witr. So, of course, these are obviously very good recommendations and Sunnah practices which the Prophet has encouraged us to do and so uh, um, I thank uh, this questioner for reminding us about Salatul Duha and if we are able to make it uh, I know most of us work but if you have a free moment during lunchtime or uh, before lunchtime or break time tea time and you are able to just take one or two minutes off and quickly make two rakas, of course the reward for that is great in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Ashukran Sheikh and talking about Witr I think that's it uh, the next question is about <coughs> Salam Sheikh please tell me whether I am allowed to do Witr after Isha, if I'm not sure whether I will be getting up for Tahajjud, often depends on how I feel physically at that time or how many hours of sleep I have, Shukr Kathir. Uh, yeah, of course you are allowed uh, to make witr immediately after your Isha Salah. Uh, in fact, that would be the recommended thing to do if you are not sure whether you are able to stand up for Tahajjud before Fajr. Okay, so if you know you are tired or you know you most probably will wake up around about Fajr time and not before that, then it is actually sunnah for you to immediately make your witr after your fart of Isha. And this is directly taken from the words of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, where Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhu, he reports this hadith and he says that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said the following, he said, Man khafa an la yaquma min akhiril layl, fal yutir awwalahu. A person who fears that he will not be able to make his witr at the end of the night, he should rather perform it at the beginning of the night. وَمَنْ طَمِعَ أَنْ يَقُومَ آخِرَهُ فَلْيُوتِرْ آخِرَ اللَّيْلِ And if a person has high hope, 
hopes and he knows most likely he will be able to stand up and make uh, salah later on before the adhan of fajr sunnah salahs then it is best for him to leave the witr for the end of the night and not to do it at the beginning of the night fa inna salata akhiril layl mashhudatun and the salah that is made at the end of the night meaning the time period just before fajr such a salah is mashhuda it means it is witnessed by Allah Ta'ala, it is witnessed especially by the Malaika, a special note is taken off any salah that is performed right before the Adhan of Fajr. So here we find that the Prophet ﷺ made it very clear, if you fear that you won't be able to make it at the end of 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 the night, then of course you should do it or you should try to do it at least uh, immediately after the, the Sunnah of Aisha. And I think just uh, another question that could come up from here, maybe it's not asked here directly, but it, it could be in some people's minds. So what if I made my, my Aisha Salah and I thought now that I won't be able to get up to make the Hajjud, mm. so I made my Witr, okay? But then the event, I did actually get up. So can I perform the Hajjud number one? And number two, can I make my Witr again or what should I do? Okay, and first of all, the first question is: You can make the hajjud, of course, even if your intention wasn't to make, because uh, the fact that you are up and you want to make use of that time, nothing would stop you from that. So you are allowed to make the tahajjud. But in this case, since you have already performed your witr salah, you are not allowed to repeat the witr salah a second time. Okay, and this is also described by the Prophet ﷺ himself, a hadith that is reported by a companion by the name of Talq ibn Ali. He says that I heard the Prophet ﷺ say, "La witrani fi laylatin." There shall not be two witters in one night. Right? We cannot perform two witters in one night. And this hadith is authentic, narrated by Imam Ahmad, Abu Dawood, Ibn Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah, and so on, and Ibn Hibban. It's, it's narrated by many scholars. And so it's an authentic hadith that proves that a person is not allowed to make two witters in the same night. So if that person made his Isha Salah, just to, to, to repeat and to conclude, if the person has made his Isha Salah, and then immediately after that he made his witter, thinking that he won't stand up for the Hajjud. But then in the event of the night, he actually stands up. Then he is allowed to make the Hajjud Salah, but he is not allowed to repeat the Witr, because the Witr has already been done. Uh, it's already been taken care of. He will just make his Hajjud Salah and then wait for the Adhan for Fajr in order to make his Fajr Salah. Ashukran Kathir. Sheikh, let's take a short break and we'll be back with more of your questions just after the at Falls Bay College, we are firmly committed to the development of you as an individual and we always encourage you to be the best you can be and to have the courage to believe in yourself and your dreams. FalseBayCollege.co.za Listen up, Skapstad. Now, if you're looking for a one-stop chop shop, the Lamborghini of all meat markets, the Bifana Bifana of butchers, make no mistake. For the best quality and the best price in Grassy Park, Steenberg, Blue Downs and Athlone, there's only one place where you'll get the perfect meaty steak. Busy Corner Meat Hyper Stores. So don't be a chop man. Make a bull run down to Busy Corner Meat Hyper Stores, where people meet. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station.
The Voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Very good evening to you. Welcome back to Question and Answer Forum. Stay with us right up, right up until 7 o'clock, inshallah, where we take your SMS questions and answer them by uh, Sheikh Ibrahim Wurst with a detailed answer, alhamdulillah, with some proofs and a great explanation as well. Please note that if you do, you're still not sure about this, um, do um, consult your local imam or send the questions through once again. And um, Sheikh is also available. You can call him and we'll leave his details at reception. Alhamdulillah, shukran to uh, Sheikh for uh, offering that as well. So, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. My husband has an illegitimate child. She's getting married and can he be her wakil? Also would um, also would like to know if um, I should attend this wedding as her biological mother and sisters are all murtat. And she said that she is not worried who thinks what. Do you think I should attend this wedding. I am still very, very, very much from the old school, Chukran. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what it means to say we're from the old school or the new <laughs> school, but anyway, um, there's two issues. The issue of being a wakil uh, for a, an illegitimate child, and the quick answer is no, the father does not act as the wakil unless he is appointed by uh, this uh, girl herself. So she obviously has to appoint someone to marry her. Mm. So in other words, he cannot enforce his uh, guardianship over her. But if she appoints him from her own self, then she can do that. She can appoint him to marry her on that day. In other words, she she will then give the authorization. Because normally the father automatically has that authorization. Mm. Okay, he doesn't need the approval or the authorization of, of of his daughter. In this case, she can give over that authorization to uh, this person who is the illegitimate father. And he can then obviously handle the marriage if, if that is the case. So that is the first point. And the second point with regards to the marriage now having uh, or is taking place where people that are involved with the marriage have uh, become murtad and stuff like that. As a general principle, we obviously try not to condemn this kind of thing. We try not to um, show uh, that we are happy with someone that has left the deen and stuff like that. And we try to encourage and make da'wah to the best of our ability and we try to speak to them. We try to uh, highlight you know, if there are problematic issues with uh, people that have become murtad. We try our best. And if we cannot, we try to get someone that can you know, speak to them and so on. And so I think in this case I mean it's a wedding and so on and if it is that they are already living this lifestyle and you know that they, you know far gone uh, in terms of you speaking to them and all of that then most probably it will be best uh, for you not to entertain it too much you know, uh, unless of course you f- you feel that there is a way in which you can speak to them, and once again, you know, uh, make a calling and and tell them, and uh, you know, uh, uh, what is a better way to do things and stuff like that. But I would not encourage uh, this kind of thing just to go to the wedding if those issues are around, because we we cannot send out signals, you know, that it is kind of acceptable to do these things. One must be careful of not condoning these kinds of things and sending out the wrong signals. But if it is in the form of da'wah and we're trying to engage them and stuff like that, then from that angle, obviously, it would be, it would be suitable and okay to do it. Shukran, Sheikh. Um, this question uh, might sound a little bit confusing because I don't know where it all fits in, but let's let's go for it. How do you come with the following? I think, sister, how do you deal with the following? Your wife was convicted by someone they assume is a Sheikh that she is Islamically free from me after not sleeping with me for more than three months. After she moved out seven days later, then that same man marries her. There was no talaq or fasakh. Shukran. 
Yeah, it would appear that uh, there's an issue here of uh, a husband and wife that are no longer together, and obviously the wife uh, has gotten married a second time, okay. and she actually got married with a person who claimed that the marriage are ov- is over due to some issues within the Islamic law. And here, um, the, the reason that was given is since she didn't sleep with her husband for three months, then it means automatically, this is what I understand, automatically the marriage is annulled. Okay. You know, and, and it seems that when this woman then moved out, mm. she immediately married the person who gave them the advice in the first place, being a sheikh or imam or whatever he is. And there was no talaq. And, and there was no talaq and no fasakh. And of course, to start from that point, I mean, if there was no talaq and no fasakh and no procedure of actually annulling the marriage, then the first thing I, I can say is that you are still married. I mean, you, your marriage didn't go anywhere. You are still married. Um, so the fact that you slept away from each other for three months or mm-hmm. even six months or even a year for that matter, that in itself does not constitute separation. No, because we dealt with the question earlier about this wife saying her husband moved out of the room for two years. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. That does not constitute separation or annulment okay. of marriage. There must be a procedure that is followed. And the procedure is one of two. It's either from the husband's side where he issues a talaq mm. or it comes from the side where the woman applies for a fasakh, in which case a fasakh must first be granted by a judicial body mm. that, do, that does the investigation and all that. And she must have strong grounds. There must be reason. And they will call in the parties and they will find out what the reasons are and so on and so forth. So if that procedure is not followed, then I don't see how um, the marriage can be sort of annulled. Mm. So they are still technically married. And if they are technically married, then it means that this woman that moved out and married the so-called imam that had given them the wrong information or the so-called sheikh, then it means that that marriage to that man is also null and void because a woman cannot get married to another man while she's still married. Okay, And what about the idda? I mean, nothing is mentioned about even if she was now, marriage was annulled. He says after seven days, I mean, where's the idda? She obviously has to go into a waiting period before any marriage can take place. So it seems to be a whole a sort of uh, jumbled up thing mm. here. And uh, I feel sorry for her, for, mm. for the man here at least, because I mean, it's, it's obviously very confusing for him how a learned, so-called learned person could have done this. Mm. And uh, yeah, we, we do from time to time hear some of these weird things happening in our community where even some of the imams and the sheikhs you know um, that have no sort of uh, consciousness of Allah really uh, where they take things into their own hands and you know get involved personally with people and stuff we've heard this uh, on some occasions and it's very sad where a person who's supposed to offer true guidance Mm. who's supposed to offer help in fact instead of helping he helps himself I mean, that is bad. That is very bad. I mean, it shouldn't be. And it's worse if it comes from somebody that is supposedly knowledgeable. Mm. So, so yeah, I think what this man should do is he should uh, go to one of the bodies, a judicial body, and actually state his case there. And they must open a file and obviously then uh, call the wife in and explain to her, first of all, that you your marriage with your husband is still intact. If there was no talaq, no divorce, nothing, no separation, you are still married to him. And because you are married to him, it's haram for you to live with another man. I mean, you can't be married to another man while you are still married with him. And then obviously from there, take it whether he wants to divorce her or they want to go for a fasakh. Hmm. And then if that happens, she will still have to go into idda first. And once the idda is over, then only she can decide in wanting to get married to someone else. I mean, there's uh, lots of issues that may complicate things here. I mean, what if she becomes pregnant now and stuff within this period? Whose child is it then? I mean, okay, he says uh, three months they weren't together. like, hmm. But still, I mean, there's still it's some kind it. of confusion. There's still some, some uh, things there that must be sorted out. So this is 
what we would say to this uh, person that he should immediately, shouldn't wait, go immediately to a place whereby you can get someone to come and speak to the woman and call both of you in and explain to you the repercussions of what has happened and uh, what what would be possibly the best way forward to to resolve this issue. Sure, for me, there comes up so many other questions with regards to you know what actually happens um, in this case with the, that couple that is now so-called demarried um, with a wife and and I think everybody involved um, the ignorance of not knowing what had happened um, and what falls onto them now even after correcting it so we know the, ne- the, the all the punishment that goes with doing something wrong would that still fall under you know people like this that claims that they did not know just a question for me yeah you know it's 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 very it's very sort of uh, strange to to imagine that these basic things will not be known i mean yeah. how can you just get married to someone okay you didn't go under itta you didn't i mean that that is something which is i think it should be common knowledge amongst mm. people you know and i don't think ignorance will 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 save the person surpass them okay. no i don't think at all because okay. these are things that are supposed to be second nature mm. you know it's not uh, uh, you don't need to be a a scholar of islam to know that okay. a woman is not allowed to just get married to someone I think there's some relationship and there's some procedure that must be followed okay. and stuff like that. But I think what could have happened here is, and it's a very sad thing, that could have happened that that the so-called sheikh or imam had obviously used his influence, you know, maybe as a learned person. And people are gullible, unfortunately, because they uh, they don't have knowledge by themselves, or mm. they don't go classes, or they don't equip themselves. Mm. So they may be gullible, you know, to these kind of things. So what could have happened is, if it is the way that the person is explaining here, maybe the sheikh uh, kind of just uh, used his influence, you know, mm. and used the fact that he knows better than them. So they must just sort of keep quiet. The woman must just keep quiet and follow what he says. Which yeah. is not necessarily the right thing, but the point is, she should have by herself also made the research, get a second yes. opinion, go to another imam, or she okay. is this right what I'm doing? I mean, yes. surely you can't be married with someone and then seven days later marry someone else. I mean, that just doesn't gel, you know, it just doesn't make sense. I think even in non-Muslims, they know that also the wacht, they, yeah, yeah, of course, there's, <laughs> there's, there's issues, there's yeah. procedures, there's, you don't just jump from one to the other. I mean, it doesn't work like that. Shukran so much, and we hope all those involved are properly guided and finds the solutions and the the steps as Sheikh has mentioned does um, you know get followed through inshallah by that um, questioning next up is salam uh, to all in the studio will the husband be held acceptable for not guiding his wife who embraced Islam I'm sure it's embraced yeah, yeah. And I think it's accountable. I mean, will he be held accountable okay. uh, in terms of uh, his responsibility towards his wife that has embraced Islam? Uh, and yeah, uh, of course, yes, he has to play a role. Uh, if a person gets married to a revert, then you have to play a role in guiding, mm-hmm. in helping, in assisting. It's not a matter of just getting married to that person mm. and now the person embraced Islam, so that's it. No, that is, that is just the start. The fact that you took somebody under your wing mm. who needs that training and needs that guidance from somebody who is more experienced, then yes, it obviously becomes your responsibility and you will be held accountable for it if you neglect it. And Allah says in the Quran, for example, in Surah Al-Tahreem, Ya anfusakum wa ahlikum nara. O you who believe, save yourselves and your families from the fire of hell. You need to save yourself and your family. You, you play a role as the, the head of the household. Mm-hmm. You need to obviously ensure that there are certain things in place within your home whereby people are being guided and trained and people are being taught, etc. Even your children, all of that, they all fall under the same ambit of this mm-hmm. ayah. Uh, there's also an interesting hadith where the Prophet ﷺ had actually 
spoken very strongly out against people who neglect their duties towards people that need guidance. Mm-hmm. In a general sense, okay, okay. and uh, what I what I've sensed from this hadith, which I will just give you a brief summary of now, mm-hmm. is that uh, there were people that had embraced Islam that were Muslim already, and then there were other people who were new reverts or mm-hmm. the neighbors that did not know as much as they did, mm-hmm. and the Prophet ﷺ actually made a speech one day, and this hadith is in recorded in some of the books of hadith, uh, like the book of um, Ibn Sakan and uh, like the book of Ibn Rahawi and so on, in some of the our sources it is mentioned that the Prophet Sallallahu actually what he did was he made a khutbah mm-hmm. and he used very stern words when he said what is wrong with certain people who don't, who don't take out the time to teach their neighbors mm-hmm. right and then he also said and what is wrong with those people the neighbors who do not take out the time to learn from the neighbors who know mm-hmm. okay and the Prophet Sallallahu appeared to be furious when he was speaking about this and appeared to be very sort of stern and he actually said if you don't do this if you don't help each other if you don't teach each other if you don't uh, guide each other then I will invoke Allah Ta'ala to bring a punishment upon you upon you meaning it becomes if a person is a river to Islam and this is something in a general sense which I also need to mention that we are very often very excited and very happy and uh, elated when we hear that uh, uh, someone embraced Islam you mm. know something very nice that gives you a nice feeling Alhamdulillah this man or person was guided to what we deem to be the truth but the problem is we are excited at that moment but what is the follow up measures to that I mean what support do we give to that person how do we teach that person how do we help the person along because many times these people get excommunicated they get obviously uh, ill treated by their uh, previous uh, associates and friends mm. and family what do we as a Muslim community put in place to actually assist them Alhamdulillah there are some organizations like Discover Islam and others that have put in place certain programs mm. whereby we are uh, giving that support but what I'm saying is we need to play a very active role in making sure that those people who come into the deen are sort of ushered into the deen with knowledge and are trained and are given the guidance and support from all different angles and on all different levels. And it becomes even more so important if it is a husband and wife. Mm-hmm. Because now they will be living together. They will, inshallah, be starting a family. So you want to obviously ensure that the foundations upon which you are going to build your marriage is going to be one that is solid and that is based on moral values that Islam mm-hmm. uh, encourages you to do. And your devotion to Allah Ta'ala is going to be very important to make a successful marriage and so on. So yes, coming back to the original question, it is the husband's duty to guide his wife if the wife had uh, reverted to Islam. And he must play that active role. Uh, or else, if he doesn't, he will... Uh, be held, held responsible and all the repercussions that follow will be uh, in accordance to what he did or what he didn't do and sadly to say you do find sometimes people marry reverts and you find they don't play that role mm-hmm. you find that they neglect them in fact sometimes it's strange those reverts appear then to be even more inclined than the original Muslims towards the deen and wanting to improve themselves and stuff like that and that shouldn't be I mean we should be role models and good uh, you know, help and assistance to others I'm divorced for 24 years. Make my tahajjud salah, make all dhikrs, and nothing goes right for me. Please tell me what else I must do, Sheikh. Yeah, shame. It's a it's 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 a difficult situation if a person is in a particular dilemma, and. Um, 
Of course, I mean, what we need to say here is that Allah Ta'ala tests all of us in all different kinds of ways. Mm. I mean, you are tested in a certain way now, but uh, other people are tested in other ways. And very often what you should do is, in order to just realize what you have, mm. sometimes you need to make a comparison with others, you know, and see those who are worse off than you. Then mm. you will see, I mean, Alhamdulillah, the fact that you make tahajjud, <laughs> for me already this shows how much Allah Ta'ala is taking care of you. Let alone all the other things. You know, how many people have never made tahajjud in their lives? Mm-hmm. How many people don't even make salah in their lives? Never mind tahajjud. So the fact that Allah has guided you to make tahajjud, for me, that already shows that how much ni'mah and grace Allah has given you. Okay? So try to obviously be thankful and know that Allah is going to test you and test us all the times with various different things. And uh, there's of course a hadith that says that if you look at the life of the Anbiya and the Prophets, they are the ones that have been tested the most. Hmm. And yet they are the most pious and the closest to Allah. Hmm. You know? So actually hmm. consider yourself to be in their path. Most loved, yeah. In their path. Hmm. In fact, mo- most love is a good way, a way hmm. to, uh, to, to explain it because the Prophet ﷺ actually said, you know, أَشَدُّ النَّاسِ بَلَاءً الْأَنْبِيَا ثُمَّ الصَّالِحُونَ ثُمَّ الْأَمْثَلْ فَالْأَمْثَلْ He says in this hadith that the person that are tested the most are the Prophets. Hmm. Then after them, the pious. Then after them, those who are closest to the pious. So which means if you are being tested a lot and you have patience mm. and you try to deal with it in a way that satisfies Allah Ta'ala and you try to sort of uh, accept the decree of Allah Ta'ala, then Allah is, uh, the Prophet is saying here that you are amongst the pious that are very close to the Prophets. Mm. So count yourself lucky, you know, that at least, I mean, I, I'm very happy to hear that you are doing your tahajjud, that you're doing everything you can. That in itself shows to me that Allah Ta'ala is taking care of you. Mm. He's giving you what other people are perhaps yearning to have mm. or longing to have or don't even know what it is to have. And Allah is giving you that. And uh, just to give a quick uh, uh, you know, anecdote, if, if, you, if you may, of uh, Nabi Ayyub alayhi salatu wasalam. Uh, and we know yes, Nabi yeah. Ayyub was also afflicted with you know, disease and illness and so on for a very long time and he suffered a lot, you know. And his wife one day, um, now, now I'm, I'm just coming back to the fact that she says for 24 years, it seems like for 24 years she didn't find someone mm. or she didn't remarry or whatever the case may be. Um, now Nabi Ayyub alayhi salatu wasalam had become so bad that his wife said to him one day, why didn't you just make dua to Allah Ta'ala? I mean, you're a prophet. Surely if you make dua to him, you will remove this difficulty easily. Mm. I mean, you're a pious man, you know. Why don't you use this uh, influence and make dua to Allah Ta'ala? You know what he said to her? He actually said, and this is mentioned in the books of Tafsir, he actually said to his wife, don't you see that Allah Ta'ala had given me good health for 70 years? For 70 years, everything was okay. It's only after 70 years that Allah is testing me. Mm. So he said, would it be anything uh, less than, you know, uh, not showing good respect to Allah if I don't have patience at this moment? Mm. And obviously I need to have patience. I mean, if Allah has tested me for a couple of years now, I shouldn't look at a couple of years now, I should look at the 70 years of good health that Allah mm. has given me. You know, and he was telling, this is, and obviously he's a Nabi, he's a prophet, and he knows the deeper meanings of these things. And that is why he was able to obviously engage his wife in this way. And uh, what it means is that if Allah Ta'ala has put something in our way that is a bit of an obstacle, mm. don't only focus on the obstacle. Look at all the other things which Allah has given you. You are alive, you are breathing, you are eating, you, are drink, you have a roof over your head, you are making salah, you are at least not somebody that is a drunkard or somebody that is abusing others or somebody mm. that is taking drugs. Allah has kept you away of so many other the bad things man so what we want to encourage the sister to do is keep on doing those good things have mm. patience make continue to make dua and inshallah there will come a time where Allah Ta'ala will just open the gates for you 
and He will give you in a way that you can never imagine. Hmm. You know, uh, in a way that you would never have thought would have happened. Allah will give you, but He wants to see that you are persistent and that you are committed hmm. in what in the in the path that you are following. And I, I make dua that Allah Taala keep you steadfast and keep you on this good journey that you've mm-hmm. set for yourself of appealing to him and making tahajjud and making dua inshallah there is light at the end of the tunnel for anyone who follows this particular path inshallah it does sound rather you know bleak when they when they put it that way but alhamdulillah sheikh you've made the the tunnel really seem brightened and for me also what comes out is 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 this this questionnaire should be actually doing exactly what they are doing just continue doing what they are doing because what they're Absolutely. doing is right because he asked what else can i do what yes. more can i do Absolutely. but what they're doing is is exactly what they should be doing so alhamdulillah like you said he could have uh, the things that's all going wrong could have caused him maybe to go to drugs or you know go to wrong things but instead he kept kept going on the right path. So alhamdulillah shukr for that question. I think it's, it's you know, many questions that does come in also is a learning curve for all of us as well and to the listeners, inshallah, and hopefully it comes across in that way. So stay with us on this question answer forum as we take a short break and we'll be back with you. Just My radio station, your radio station. Our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to this edition of Question and Answer Forum. And inshallah, we make to our that Almighty Allah guides us through all of the lessons that is learned by other um, other callers uh, posing the questions, inshallah. I'm Khawa Salman, and with me once again is Sheikh Ibrahim Worth answering your questions. Next question is Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. If you go to Makkah first, in Ramadan, inshallah, when you leave for Medina, you have to make wida. And if you come in again for Umrah, do you make? Do you have to make wida again? Yeah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. With regards to tawaful wida, it's basically a farewell tawaf that you offer uh, to the, around the Kaaba for sort of leaving the holy lands and yes the, the scholars state that each time you take a journey that is going to be further than the journey that allows you or permits you to do the joining of prayers mm-hmm. which is about 80 kilometers then yes you should make a tawaf in terms of bidding farewell to to the baytullah okay so there is difference of opinion amongst the scholars whether this act is actually obligatory or whether it actually is just a voluntary act Okay, and this difference of opinion, the Shafi'i viewpoint is that it is obligatory. You have to make uh, wida' before you leave the Holy Lands. Uh, and in this case, obviously, you are going to leave uh, for a distance more than 81 kilometers. And because it's, it's a, a great distance between Makkah and Medina, you don't even know whether you'll be coming back to Makkah. Mm. I mean, you can't guarantee that. So it is uh, obviously required from you when you leave Makkah that you make uh, tawaful wida'. And yet, it's obviously tawaful wida'. It's basically the last tawaf that you make. Mm. So as you're making your sunnah tawafs, just make sure that the last tawaf that you make is close to the time that you're going to leave. And you make niya, that is tawaf al wida. When tawaf al wida is no special procedure over and beyond just making your tawaf around the Kaaba. And of course, people that go these times, uh, when they go for Umrah, they make tawaf a lot. Every day they make tawaf. So all that you do is the, the tawaf that is closest to your journey to Medina, mm-hmm. uh, you make uh, niya that that will be your tawaf al wida mm-hmm. because you don't know whether you'll be coming back or not. Then you go to Medina to Munawwara. And inshallah, when you come back to Makkah, you will do Umrah again, you will enter with Umrah, you will do all those procedures again. And then when you leave now from Makkah to go back home, then you will do another Tawaf al Obviously, because now you again 
going to travel away from the, the Baytullah for more than 80 kilometers. And this is something which obviously, like I said, it's a gesture of bidding farewell to the house of Allah mm-hmm. as a final sort of greeting. And it's part of the adab of leaving. And of course, there are certain people that are excused, like a woman who has a menstruation, for example. She will be excused. There's no problem. She can leave without having to worry because she obviously will not be making tawaf uh, in that state. So she can basically just make dua to Allah Ta'ala at that point to, to sort of accept from her and to bring her back and all of that. And uh, yeah, that would be the case here. Uh, it would be required to make tawafal wida. And like I said, tawafal wida is no special procedure. It's just a normal tawaf around the Kaaba mm-hmm. with a special niyyah. That's it. The, the, the niyyah is basically what is special. And that niyyah is you are making a final tawaf. And of course, just as an added point, once you've made your, your tawafal wida, you should not try to delay too much within the, the area of Makkah. You should try to leave as quickly as possible. In other words, you must not stay a long period in Makkah after you've made your tawaful bidah. Mm-hmm. Your greeting should be like the last thing that you do, and then you should leave wherever you are heading to, inshallah. Okay. Salam, what if I overslept and did not do my witted um, the night before? Shukran, this is a very good program. I, I think this also comes from a question, SMS that was maybe um, sent through at the time we answered a question on witted. So, inshallah, Shaykh. Yeah, just as a principle, the salah of witr is a voluntary salah. It is not a compulsory salah. Um, and that means that uh, should you even leave it out intentionally, then there is no uh, issue with that. Okay, Although it's a very strongly recommended sunnah, what we call a sunnah mu'akkada. It's something which the Prophet ﷺ hardly missed. I mean, mm. he never missed salatul witr. Really, because it's something that he was very particular on. Um, and there are some of the Sahaba that said, you know, the Prophet advised me never to leave off three certain things. And amongst these things is Salatul Duha, uh, amongst these things is Salatul Witr, amongst these things is to fast at least three days of every month. So the Prophet had encouraged these things. So just as a matter of principle, Salatul Witr is not compulsory, but it is voluntary. So should you leave it out intentionally, it will be fine. You don't have to make it up. There's no sin involved. But you've just missed the reward for it. That's all that it is. Uh, so if you've overslept um, uh, for Fajr and you stood up after the sun has come up or you stood up a long time after the Adhan of Fajr, then obviously what it means is that the time of Witr has ended. Mm. Because the time of Witr is any time from after the time that you perform Isha until the Adhan of Fajr. So let's say you perform Isha in the beginning of its time, then you can perform Witr immediately after that. Mm. Or let's say you make Isha in the middle of the night, then you can perform Witr from that time onwards until Fajr. In other words, you cannot make Witr before you've made your Fard Salah of mm-hmm. Isha. Uh, so it definitely expires at the time of Fajr, and you need not make it up because the time has, has, has lapsed. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to worry about it. And of course, just as an added uh, piece of information in terms of the Raka'at that you make for Witr, because just as a matter of interest, let's say a person wakes up uh, very late um, in the sense that it's almost time for Fajr. But he forgot he didn't make witr. Okay? Mm. And there's just enough about enough for him to make one rakah. He knows the adhan is going to go off after mm. that. Then it is okay for him to make one rakah because okay. the least amount of witr is one rakah. Mm. Okay? And the most amount of witr is 11. So you can do mm. from 1 to 11. Of course, the usual what people normally do is 3. Mm. 
Okay, and that is the normal one. But if you want to add another two and make it five, that's okay. If you want to make it seven, that's okay. Nine, okay. that's okay. Up until 11. The maximum is 11. And the minimal is one. So let's say you only have time for that one. You know the adhan is going any minute. Uh-huh. Then you are actually allowed just to make the one rak'ah of witr. That will be acceptable as a witr salah for that particular night. Shukran, Sheikh. And with that, let's uh, pay the bills and we'll come back with more of your questions on 479. Live from Cape Town, this is the voice of the Cape. The voice of the Cape. Very good evening. Welcome back. We're in our last segment of uh, this uh, question and answer forum. We gladly accept your SMSs on 47913. And Alhamdulillah, Sheikh will give a good um, explanation on your questions. You may also Facebook us your questions on the Voice of the Cape Facebook page and pose it. And inshallah, we will, we'll, we might not deal with them right now, but we will deal, them, deal with them in the program to follow. These are two separate questions, but it kind of deals on the same subject, inshallah, Sheikh. Um, the next one dealing with Aita and um, can a couple remarry each other in the Aida period of a Fasakh and the next question also kind of applies to a Fasakh is if a woman applies for a Fasakh in her marriage would her Aida period start when, when, so, sorry, when would her Aida period start so it's about Fasakh and Aida both the consecutive questions inshallah separate but on the same topic, inshallah. Yeah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. With regards to the, the first question, which is the idda that the, the woman is, is experiencing now after the fasakh. First of all, the difference between a fasakh and a talaq, as we know, is that a talaq is something that the husband issues. It's a, a talaq is given from the husband's side. And the woman goes immediately, the, the wife goes into idda immediately. And there's, of course, three trial periods or three chances for them to either to reconcile or not to reconcile. Okay, Whereas Fasakh, on the other hand, is not really uh, done by any of the parties as such, but it is a judicial decree that is given by a judiciary or a judicial body uh, uh, on account of perhaps a uh, uh, an application that came from the side of, of the wife um, to, to be separated. Okay, Now, in the uh, event where there is a talaq, or a normal divorce, and of course, during that Idda period, the couple can reconcile without having to remarry. Okay, they can get back together without having to remarry if it was a talaq that was issued. Okay, on the other hand, if it was a fasakh, and since a fasakh is actually a judicial decree that was given, it cannot just be retracted like that, or you cannot just uh, re, you, you cannot just get back together as you would be able to if it was a talaq. But the question actually asks now, can you get married if it is after a fasakh whilst in the idda? And the answer is yes, you can remarry each other while you are in the idda or even after the idda for that matter. Okay. okay. Because a fasakh means that the marriage has been annulled by a judicial uh, decree and the woman, the, the wife goes into idda and the difference between the, the fasakh and the talaq would be the husband does not have that ability just to reconcile with his wife without remarrying. Mm-hmm. That's the major difference, okay? With the scenario of talaq, he can reconcile and both of them can decide, let's give it another chance. So they go back together without having to do any procedures. But when it is a fasakh, immediately, so let's say, let's just make it a worst case scenario. They got the fasakh today and tomorrow they feel they want to get back together. What should they do? They should remarry. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's no other way for them to get back together except to uh, repeat 
the whole process of nikah with all its integrals, with the same way that it took place the first time. So a new dowry, a new contract, everything must be put in place uh, if they are going to remarry, uh, even if it is during the idda. With regards to the second question, so if this decree has now been given, okay, the, the fasakh has been given, okay, the decree of annulment, when does the idda actually start? It starts from the time when the decree is final. From the time that the judiciary has declared the marriage to be annulled, from that point onwards, the the, the idda will start immediately. Okay, so a woman, uh, a wife, of course, in that marriage, she must ascertain uh, exactly when it uh, took place. So even if it took place without a knowledge mm. or at the time she did not know, that does not impact on the fact that it started at that time. Okay, so let's say she only got uh, the letter uh, from the judiciary, let's say, two weeks later or three weeks later. For some reason, it was delayed in the post. Okay, to say that your, you know, your fasakh went through on that date, for example. Mm-hmm. Then it means on that particular date when, it, when the fasakh was concluded, your idda would have started there already, even if you only received the letter much later. Okay, yeah. and that is with regards to the starting period of the idda for this woman who has been, uh, whose, whose marriage has been annulled oh. through a fasakh. Okay, shukran, Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum, Imam and Sheikh. How can we, as Muslim young women, beautify ourselves? How did the Prophet Sallallahu wives beautify themselves? Shukran. Yeah, well, the quick answer for me is they beautified themselves within before they beautified themselves from the outside. Okay, they beautified their hearts and their character, and they mm-hmm. had the most beautiful of character with each other, beautiful ways of speaking, beautiful ways of interacting, and this is evident from uh, Sayyidatina Aisha and Sayyidatina Fatima and the wives of the Prophet and his daughters. They had the most beautiful character, and of course, that uh, is not something that is uh, far fetched because they, you know, got this from the best of Allah's creation. They got this directly from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He was their teacher. He was their guide. He was the one that obviously taught them all these beautiful things. So uh, I want to say, if you want to beautify yourself, start from within, before you are worried about the outside. Mm. Okay. With regards to the outside, if you wanted to beautify yourself, uh, of course there are certain parameters in which you should operate. Uh, you should obviously be clothed always suitably and properly and modestly. Okay, as a Muslimah as a Muslim female. Uh, and of course, the Prophet ﷺ, he indicated on certain occasions, if the clothing was unsuitable, the Prophet ﷺ used to indicate to the Sahabiyat that they should try to uh, better or improve their type of clothing that they wear. One such occasion, Asma, the daughter of Sayyidina, Sayyidina Abu Bakr, an, appeared in front of the Prophet ﷺ, and the Prophet ﷺ looked at her, but she was a bit not suitably dressed clothing was slightly skimpy and it was perhaps see-through to some extent and the Prophet ﷺ said to her that a, a human who is baligh or who is mukallaf should not be uncovering her body except this and this he pointed to the face and to the hands okay so the issue of modesty is very important the issue of uh, uh, you know hijab wearing a hijab the way that it was prescribed to us by the quran and by the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and then if you wanted to i mean i know people today they've got various ways of doing the hijab they've got various ways of wearing their thobes and stuff like that if you wanted to beautify you yourself in that manner there's nothing that stops you uh, in fact i've read some questions in, in in the book of fiqh which is for me very interesting i've never seen it but it's very interesting uh, that the issue of gold and silver. Now we know gold and silver is obviously allowed for women, right? Without any restriction. So they can wear uh, jewelry, etc. 
So in the uh, the books of fiqh, the scholars actually say, should the woman take some gold and silver and actually put it on her clothing and decorate her clothing with it and all of that, it would be halal, totally permissible. Because that is something which has been made uh, ja'is and permissible for her. Okay, So uh, I think modesty is the key, right? Moderation is the other key. And like I said at the beginning, real beauty comes from within and not really from from the outside. Okay, and that is uh, all that I want to comment on this particular question. <laughs> Shukran, Sheikh. I'm I'm aching to ask another question. Unfortunately, our time is run up. We have literally 30 seconds, and I don't think we're going to do justice to any of the other SMSs. So please bear with us. Um, to our listeners, we apologize. We're not able to deal with your questions right now, but inshallah, we will do them in the next show. So Jazakallah Khair to you for staying tuned, and we hope inshallah um, Sheikh was able to help and guide you through some of your questions. And Jazakallah Khair to, to um, Sheikh Ibrahim was as well for availing himself uh, to answer your question, Sheikh. All the best, and salam. Jazakumullah khair to you also, Sister Hawa, and to all our listeners. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Please keep those SMSs coming and we will do justice to them as we receive it, inshallah, on 47913. From myself, Hawa Salam, enjoy the rest of your evening and have a great weekend. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and a very good day to you. Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM.